Welcome to Podcast Maximus. I am Tom McNally. With me is Stuart Webb. I am with you, yes. I'm sat on your knee. Excellent. And Marion Hilditch. Hello, I'm here as well. I am, I'm definitely not sat on your knee, though. Excellent. Today, we're <laughs> going to be reviewing Requiem of the Wreckers, which was released on the 30th of May, uh, which is also something you should read. You should read it and make your own review. Maybe record it, but this is the one we're recording. But that's that's very passive aggressive, Tom. <laughs> yeah, why don't you do a review? <laughs> if you're so great, <laughs> should, I, should I do another? Should I do another run on that? Um... <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a great intro. <laughs> Requiem of the Wreckers was made by Nick Roche, doing all the writing and quite a lot of the art, along with Brendan Cahill, Jeff Senior, special guest star, with colours by Josh Bersham and Josh Perez, and colours by Sean Lee and ever-dependable Tom B. Long. What did we think of Requiem of the Wreckers? I think uh, the thing we should perhaps mention first is that we, we actually got a, an advance re- review copy for once. But it is a, a, it's a lower res than the final version, so there may be things that we've missed or, uh, in reading it. If anybody at home is going, oh, how did they miss this amazing thing in there? It's because uh, we, we're working off a low-quality PDF, but it's still very exciting to, to read it in advance. It's like knowing a secret. And uh, as, as for the comic itself, it's very good. But yeah, that's what, what my advanced reading has taught me, but it's good. <laughs> Marion, first impressions. Um, I, I, it felt short and sweet. Uh, it feels like an epilogue uh, for sure. It feels like there was a bigger story here that was condensed. We know that this is true because uh, Nick told us so uh, in the interview that we did. Which, uh, if you're listening to this, you will have already heard, hopefully. Um. It, I, I have I have feelings. I have feelings I would like to explore as we go on and uh, record today. Okay. Well, let's let's hope we get to the bottom of all these feelings. After all, it's only by confronting the past can we really get a good context on it. If we've learned anything here with this PDF, squinting at this low-res PDF, it's that. We'll never get another advanced view copy now. We're like, oh, they've been smoking about it. We'll strike them from the list. <laughs> huh. um, I, will, I, I can't wait to get my hands on the real thing. Um, I for, I've actually ordered it uh, at my local comic book shop. Uh, I say I've actually ordered it because I'm a comicsology person, so I usually get the comicsology copies and then wait for the trades. But since this is a um, standalone issue, I've ordered it uh, uh, in physical copy as well. There is uh, a trade paper gar- paperback sorry, coming out later in uh, the summer that will contain the whole of the record saga, uh, including a lot of the extras that were in the um, last stand and the Saints of the Wreckers uh, trade uh, editions. So um, I think all told, um, are we some of us will end up having these records books in many, many different copies by the end of the IDW run, which is not a bad thing. 
I really still wish that uh, we had had the lovely uh, hardback edition uh, equivalent for uh, the Sense book. It's uh, I've said this many times. I'll say it again. It's a gorgeous book, and I really would have deserved that uh, lovely deluxe treatment, if you will. Um, Requ- Requiem of the Wreckers is also a beautiful book. Uh, Josh Bircham uh, has kept um, a lot of the uh, the tone and the style of Sins of the Wreckers. Um, and given the uh, Jeff Senior pages uh, very much um, sort of their own unique old school-ish identity, um, I'm... Um, huge fan of Josh Burcham and the things that he does with colors and the moods that he creates and so on. Um, this was a pleasure to read. Um, it was a pleasure to see uh, Jeff Senior uh, draw this uh, sort of old grizzled Nick Roach cup face um, and to see sort of the, um, the energy um, that uh, he's known for um, it, sort of uh, put into these characters um, and uh, sort of made contemporary, if you will, because I think um, I personally at least uh, definitely associate Jeff Senior with old school Transformers and to see it translated uh, into this sort of modern story. Um, it, was, uh, it was quite a treat. Yeah, I'd be interested there with, because of the other characters he, he drew in their sort of classic G1 designs, like Sp- uh, Springer, so I'd be interested if uh, Cup being the Nick Roach version was a s- script specification or if Jeff Senior just was like, yeah, hey, I like the look of that. That's what I'll I'll do here. Because knowing Jeff, he probably couldn't remember what Cup looked like anyway. <laughs> so he may have just looked up the wrong reference model. He's moved on with his life <laughs> for 30 years. I've, uh, but yeah, uh, the Jeff Senior pages were lovely, uh, except for he packed oddly enough, who looked like, uh, in a couple of panels, looked like a man in a hat with giant red nipples. Rather than, uh, <laughs> rather than uh, his more traditional look, but generally, oh, I think I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Just beforehand, it. There's a, there's I was a... taking my shirt off. It was irritating me. There's a panel with Prowl uh, towards the end, I think. Where, yeah. yeah, I can see what you mean with that. He, that it looks like a man with a really long neck, and uh, sort of like yeah. Um, but it's uh, you know it's got it's a lot to chew on. As condensed as it is, it's um, it's a really tight little story about you know losing your parents and the idea that I, can, I think it, it kind of gets summarized uh, when Springer says they didn't even know that he had a past until he lost it. It's this idea of um, knowing that there's all this context out there and you know nick is uh, a young father and you kind of when you're around very young people from sort of that side of the curtain you kind of realize how thoughtless you were as a young person and how unaware you were that there's this sort of conspiracy of care surrounding you of people hoping that you're gonna turn out better than they are or that your circumstances are going to be better than you are that you're you're completely unaware of until you start seeing it applied or start applying it yourself to other small people um and so it kind of takes those themes of parenthood from sins of the wreckers and really uh puts them into these uh interesting 
vessels and that allows them to all blow each other apart. To quote Verity, it works uh, differently for every human. And I think we see here uh, a lot of these differences. Uh, of, we have the parallel of the adopted parents between, or the, rather the, the parents who gave us up between Verity and Springer. Um, if, uh, for those who don't remember, we start off the IDW continuity uh, knowing that uh, Verity is a foster child. Uh, she sets everything off. She starts everything off. She's the beginning and the end, as Nick put it. Uh, we start with her uh, running away from a foster home, I believe. Um, and now we end this book with her uh, going to meet her um, uh, biological mother. Is she a tarantulas or is she an impactor? Mm. Or a prowl? Ah, all these reasons why you would put your child into the care of a cup. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say the, the tarantulas, prowl, springer stuff, that was what people really d- dug in sins of records. It was all that uh, sort of fan art and even people commissioning Nick to do really some weird stuff about tarantulas and prowl uh, for commissions and that. So it, look, it looks like he's, like he's thought that that was what people really connected with. So let's just take that idea and just run for it with it through the whole... Whilst also doing the theme of mo- needing to move on, with your life as well, which is symbolic on other levels with IDW at the moment, uh, about moving on from the past and let, letting go. Mm. Mm. Um, th- I like the theme of, or well, we are sort of what uh, what people make us as we grow up, uh, or at least they have a lot to do with what we become. And the origin is not necessary; is not it might be part of what you are, but it isn't who you are. Um, and uh, especially, um, I thought it was a nice touch that uh, our uh, who we think is our bad guy, um, Megan uh, Gilioni, is a grown-up Verity. She's made out of Verity. She's what Verity could have been mm. when she grew up uh, under different circumstances. And uh, she, but Verity, as we know, could not be any more different to this person. Uh, so some some very. Um, thought-provoking details there. You know, I hadn't even thought of that because that that was... I thought Tarantulas was just BSing her when he was saying that because I couldn't work out any reason why it would be harder for him to make a transformer that turned into a human than it would be to make one that turned into a wolf. Mm. So I just thought he was was just being a dick. Okay, yeah, it's all you. (laughs) But that's that's a really good take on it. I can't remember if it's in the actual sense book or if it's something that came out of our review of that book, but we did definitely discuss um, that um, Tarantulas hadn't yet reached the level of sophistication to um, create human pretenders uh, or whatever it is that he's calling them. Um, at that point, at least, I can't remember if it was us that made the uh, human it, it is, is in the book. It, it is suggested. They said, ah, um, you, know, you could make you can even make human transformers mm. and Tarantula says something. Oh, well, you know, stay tuned. There's new breakthroughs every day. Okay. But this, uh, obviously, I mean, we know this isn't true because this isn't a, a real human being. It's an overlord in disguise. So the, this is a personality that this is overlord's personality. It's not even Verity's personality, you know. Um, it's just uh, something that Nick throws in there, I think, more than anything else. But they do look alike. They are physically similar. They do, which actually was a little bit confusing to me on first read because mm. there's that time skip. Yeah, there's um, there's it, 
yeah, the, the story does. It feels like these are all such great ideas that you really could expand out. I mean, Megan Guglioni is set up to be our. Well, I guess she is. Yeah, she is the villain in one guise or another, mm. but is dead within a page. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Let, let, let's be, be up front here. Let's say the truth. Nick Roach is a liar. He said to us on that podcast interview that this was a comic <laughs> about a road trip. The road trip lasts one page. <laughs> he tricked us. He looked us right in the eye and he said things that were not true and I feel betrayed and lied to. And there's a, you can't see it, listen, but there are tears running I down do, my face. I do like that the, there's, this is a road trip that ends with the car being bulldozed at a service station. <laughs> it, it is a, it's a road trip, but of sorts it just goes wrong. He, he never, yeah, he never I mean, said it ended well, you know. <laughs> if that could have been easily like an entire comic in and of itself, and it is almost... Because uh, one thing IDW have never done that well is deal with what the impact of the Transformers has been like on Earth. They've mm. always been very vague on that. So sort of a, a road trip across America in the post all hail Megatron wilderness or whatever the hell America was supposed to be. At this point, whether it's rebuilt or, but sort of post nine eleven turned up to the maximum. Really, um, hmm. that could have been a, a whole comic in and of itself. Well, it, was the pro- it reminds me of um, of the promise of Independence Day two. Remember Independence Day two, where Independence Day resurgence. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah. That was kind of all the marketing was like made out to be a very interesting film, which uh, apparently it wasn't. Um, but yeah, there's um, a lot of science fiction kind of put to hundreds of years after the alien invasion and once sort of stuff settled down. But yeah, 10 years after, everybody, it's all still in living memory. It'd be very interesting. But, you know, our mind is on other things with Requiem. Um, it's very, you know, it, it is very focused on, on just quite a small set of characters and what they represent pretty much just in terms of of what they mean to Springer. Uh, we've got, you know, Cup as the past, and he's represented exclusively through Jeff Senior, which, you know, is this sort of, uh, whether you have the association of him being the past of Transformers or just the fact that the style is kind of got the, the reminiscent of a, a certain time and place in British comics culture. Um that's, that comes across right away. And he cares, but can't show it. Um, his motives aren't terribly understood by the person who's benefiting from them. And he's carrying around a lot of hurt, but isn't really doesn't really communicate that in a useful way. And that's only realized after he's gone. And that's, you know, that, that's like a lot of archetypes of a father all kind of rolled into one. Springer's then given over to Impactor, who's a kind of teenage phase. He's just sort of generically rebellious. He's inarticulate. Uh, he's, he's quite superficial. Uh, he's he's literally in with a bad lot, uh, up to mischief um, for fairly unarticulated reasons. There's there's it, when he joined Mayhem in Sins of the Wreckers, it kind of came from a, uh, a legitimate political necessity. 
But here it's sort of recontextualized as that he just was, he just kind of had to. He just didn't really know what he was doing with that. And that it's just a lot of wasted energy. Mm. Um, but then, you know, it's a, Impactor is this thing you have to overcome. Impactor is something you have to move past. Uh, and it's a, re- it's a good way of sort of judo throwing what we know about Impactor and his sort of impact on the history of the war and Transformers and, and, and that to make him represent something um, of a stumbling block. One of my, um, it's not a criticism, it's more of like um, I wish we'd had more of is uh, more uh, on Impactor himself. We have stories about him all from other people. Uh, very little actually comes from his own point of view in all the pages that uh, we've read about him throughout the continuity. Um, I, I wish we'd, we'd had more of him um, because he does, uh, he's, um, he's presented as a pivotal character and certainly significant to other people's lives, uh, but we just don't, don't know enough um, as to sort of like what yeah. what drives him. I mean, it seems fairly simplistic as you put it. Like it's um, it's that kind of like we need to do X and to do X we need to you know get to Y. And um, at the end of the uh, rather at the beginning of since he's seeing as kind of having lost the point of um, what he's doing because the war is over. He doesn't know what to do with himself anymore because he's always been a wrecker and he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Um, I get the sense more that he ends up with mayhem because he has nothing better to do. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, like he's reinvigorated mm. and finds another cause and uh, just goes with it uh, because it's the next thing that's come up kind of thing. Um, uh, but that, that, that didn't get a sense of like conviction behind it as such or like a bigger plan or um, that there was uh, a, and on a, on a more sort of like uh, pragmatic level, of course, I don't think anybody knew what mayhem was going to be doing at the end of sins because it seems like they had one thing planned and then reboots happened uh so if there was another story there to be told it doesn't seem like it's happened it's just all kind of fizzled out and um perhaps this was just necessity uh that it had to be presented this way in Requiem because, well, nothing happened with them. So they can't have been planning this grand scheme that nobody had heard of all these years, you know. <laughs> uh, so they had to kind of present them as this group that got nowhere or were scheming, but never yeah. managed to um, get where they where they wanted to go. I do wish we'd seen more of Impactor because uh, I think there is a lot more to be told, um, certainly around the relationship with Springer, I guess. Uh, but also his relationship with other people. We've only really seen him interact with Springer. Um, we only really know him from that um, that uh, sort of point of view. And we, Guzzle, uh, I yes. suppose. Guzzle as being a sort of failed uh, attempt to sort of get a new yeah. Springer. Uh, you can never replace him. Uh, we never found out what it is he owes Prowl. Because that's a, that's a thing in scenes where he's uh, saying, oh, whatever I owe you... Uh, when he's talking about killing young springers, like whatever I've owed you or I've done for you before, I won't do that. So there's, there's something that was going on with him and Prowl that mm. we never, never found yeah, out. Yeah, and uh, Nick presented it uh, in the interview as if it was Prowl's decision not to kill Ostras. 
uh, when it's I read it as it was very much Impactor's decision to not kill Osteros and Prowl just had to kind of go with it because Prowl didn't personally want to get his hands dirty. Uh, not that Prowl made the conscious decision to not kill a newborn. Uh, as um, Nick said, uh, sort of John Barber put it to him. So a couple of things that uh, I found inconsistent, not between the books, but more between the books and Nick's interview that were interesting like that. Hmm. I think uh, with, with Mayhem, what I found interesting is how much more cynical this book was about um, than, than Sins was, because I thought in Sins... Karnavak was the only person after that date slug who was doing it legitimately for the cause, because obviously Verity and Hubcap, they almost wanted attention as much as anything. They wanted somebody to notice them. Um, I felt like Karnavak was really doing it for what he thought were good reasons. It wasn't just all about mm. him. While here, it becomes all about him. And uh, I know you, you were saying in the interview, Tom, you were asking about how Nick's views on WikiLeaks might have changed over the last couple of years as we found out more about it. And I think that maybe encompass because uh, it turned out that the guy behind it all was actually a bit of a self-serving dick entirely. Hmm. He was just wanted Impactor to be his friend and then he got upset and he was doing it all just out of jealousy. So he could date Pamela Anderson. Um, yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, the, the the mayhem looking so pathetic rather than uh, sympathetic does seem to be uh, ripped from the headlines. Uh, they was but I, I, they kind of played for fools as well. We, we spent a lot of time talking about characters who are in the book for two pages. I think it's not even two full pages. It's poor old mayhem. They just like turn up just to be killed off as a loose end. <laughs> Carnivac does get his starring uh, role in uh, towards the end. So, I'm just pleased that Chopster's in it. Yeah, it's just for you, Tom. The power core combiner that everybody forgot. Fun little fire truck. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Megan Guglione. Because yeah. uh, I, I watched the latest episode of The Handmaid's Tale oh, last night. Don't spoil it because I'm not on season two yet. Okay, they just have a very similar vibe. It's it's you know Katie Hopkins, it's Tommy Tommy mm-hmm. Lauren, uh, but yeah, they the, you know the free speech on campus issue. Uh, do we do we uh, give fascists a platform? That sort of conversation happening in the states and to a lesser extent here. Oh, it's happening here to a, to a big extent because uh, giving a platform is now mandated by the government. Oh, really? Yes. It, go, it falls under freedom, freedom of speech, which is now coming down as a mandate from the government. Okay. I, we don't even ha- Do we even have freedom of speech in England officially? I thought it was just sort of a... Well, no, um, it's, it's specifically it's a, a, a... Oh, sorry. Is, it a, is this a philosophical question or was it a pragmatic question? I mean, we don't have a constitution. Do we actually have... <laughs> Uh, do we actually have guaranteed freedom of speech? I actually don't, on a legal level, I don't actually know if that um, I don't know the answer to that either. I think there's um, uh, protections against uh, hate speech, obviously. 
Uh, but in terms of university specifically, this has come down as a very specific higher education thing. And it comes, uh, and ironically, it's not universities that are not platforming, it's students' unions. Students' unions make the decision that they don't want uh, hate preachers uh, on campuses and therefore refuse to give them a platform. It's not something that universities control and students' unions are independent to universities. So... Um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to impose, put it that way. Yes, um, and yeah, we get we get a page of it, and uh, but you know, it well, is... again, this this could have been a whole mini series in and of itself, could it? It's very X Men as well. There's lots of X Men mm. stories about politicians who usually turn out to be mutants as well. <laughs> a twist in the same way she turns out to be actually a transformer uh yeah literally reading this i was thinking god i wish kate hopkins was an alien agent and then it would be over so soon the minute she was revealed but alas alas reality is not that simple it's just so funny like you know we have this very you know overlord as caligula as being this kind of antique um overlord i guess uh you know a torturer and a gladiatorial enthusiast but yeah i suppose the modern the person who spreads the sadist uh the powerful sadist of today is yeah someone with a <laughs> column in the daily mail who uh um antagonizes uh people for fun and sport it, it it's a it's a very by putting overlord in that role um, it's definitely striking um, yeah. a position. It's a metaphor, I think, uh, is what it is. Uh, that, yes, maybe Katie Hopkins and uh, Nigel Farage and the number of all these people who make it their business to stir up trouble are not, in fact, aliens in disguise, but they are certainly <laughs> disguising true motives, which tend to be very selfish and... Uh, not as uh, altruistic as they'd like other people to think. And Overlord doesn't even care. He's just doing <laughs> it literally because he's bored. Yeah. He's doing it for the same reason Impactor is fighting against him. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm bored easily. I'm still kind of focused on this b- bizarre personal crusade. Mm. But uh, while I kill time, I'm going to really just, 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 just mess the place up. Hmm. So the metaphor continues in that usually <laughs> the people who are out there, um, uh, who have the charisma to be out there and uh, enthuse the masses, don't tend to be the people with the actual interests. I mean, on the, uh, he did another interview. It's, uh, he talks to other podcasts. I was disappointed to, to discover that, but he uh, did an interview with Cybertron uh, uh, the other week as well, where he mentioned that he'd, uh, he, he had to be careful not to go too over the top with it. Uh, Nick, uh, we're talking. But, Nick Roach. Uh, Nick, sorry, yeah, yes, yeah. Nick. But he, uh, but it, uh, so he didn't want to alienate readers or uh, put anybody off. So uh, yeah, he sort of didn't want to make it too overt. And reading it, I did think, well, what, what on earth would have a really overt version have been like? Because it is, uh, it's very uh, firmly Katie Hopkins and all that. I mean, she has a human's first banner that's slightly cut off behind her just to make... Was it humans first? Was it make humans uh, forget? It's humans again? first, and um, H- uh, humans first. Yeah. I got my Trump catchphrases mixed up. <laughs> uh, no, she does say something about making something 
uh, I don't know, taking something back or, or maybe making this up. She certainly has a humans first, uh, like a banner behind her. It's, it's, it's all the really horrible people in the world right now meshed into one with a visual homage to the uh, Transformers annual story victory in there as well at the end <laughs> to make everything better sort of a face peels off that's very much like uh oh, join that, bit that bit of nightmare fuel i'm almost heard about was intentional let me nick but is there something for everyone there it's fascists and jeff senior art homages <laughs> the other thing that megan does say is that how do you know when how long will it be until they can disguise themselves as you Classic projection from uh, from yeah. the, the demagogues. Yeah, I, I'm just amazed that Impactor didn't ask him Tarantulas to give him the lips in his uh, in his human form. That's that's what she's missing there, Megan. She needs a big big lips <laughs> to pro- to properly be his avatar. <laughs> oh yeah, that's interesting. You could think of her as his avatar, couldn't you? This is uh, Overlord's human form. Hmm. Oh, it's an evil version of Verity. I'm thinking about the cosplay possibilities now. Anyway, carry on. Oh yeah, <laughs> just just turn up in a business suit, looking evil. <laughs> Wait, humans first. It's it's an e- it's an easy cosplay, I have to say. Anyway, yeah. Um. So Verity is spirited away by uh, Overlord, combining his two forms. We we get some good reminders of uh, how he transforms and we meet an old friend a good old friend who was there all along yeah but um, but was he it said that he was um he's the president's um armored vehicle yeah that <gasps> yes. also seems feels like there's something have we seen him has he been around um, oh, well, like the President of the United States in Optimus Prime. I think we would have noticed that big yellow <laughs> gun. He's kind of, oh, yeah, does he have it? Oh, yeah, at the top. I guess he could be hiding that, though, because he's just like a black, uh, like armored kind of. Uh... A black, black van. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's a bit confusing. Like, why is the President's van just around the corner from. Well, well no, it's no, uh, mentioned at the start. Meet, but, uh... Uh, he was on his way to meet Springer. Yeah, oh, the, okay. in, in the news montage of the start, it's something's mentioned about uh, the president's. There's some mention of the president there with ties, uh, uh, vans, an off a vanish, something like that. <laughs> the president's van is missing. <laughs> it, it was a slow news day. Uh, what's it say? <laughs> oh yeah, like in, um... it actually is how it opens. Absence of the heavy armored yeah. vehicles from the president's. Uh... Watch okay, suggest that blah blah. Um, uh, oh wow! Oh. No, okay, yeah. vehicles plural, so presumably all the mayhems were with a president. So maybe <laughs> come on down. Uh, okay, yes, and if you squint on one of the screens, there's Impactor. It looks like the motorcade. Oh, yeah. And uh, if I look at the mayhems Earth and vehicle modes, it's interesting that one of them is basically uh, uh, stakeouts. The black police car. I'm sure you know which member of Mayhem that is. Um, oh, is he, is he the shark man? Riverbite. Uh, oh no, the the walrus man. 
I don't think we give a get the Walrus Man. No, no. Wal- Walrus Man turns into a ratchet style vehicle. Uh, yeah. It's a guy standing next to Walrus Man in a battle where we're in robot mode. Oh, the little the little policeman. No, no, but the guy to his left. Right to his left. In, in a paddle above, he's a he's a stakeout. To his right, sol- police car. Okay, all right. So, uh, uh, to his right. Oh, his right. Oh, yeah. That's overbite. Okay, okay. You, you beast wars fan, you. Oh, he's a hammerhead shark. <laughs> now he's a living tribute to stakeout. And then, then and he lasts the, just as long. And then the the little rabbit guy is the motor motorbike. Um, and then there's a. The construction vehicle, right at the end, the guy, the guy who bulldozed Springer. Yeah. He looks familiar. I think he's a... Maybe he's another power core converter. Power core combiner? Anyway. Uh, we, we've given all, these guys more time than they get in the actual comic. All killed off panel. <gasps> is Overlord a bit smaller than I remember him there, or what? He is a little bit dainty, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Anyway, Impactor shows up. I'm Carnivac. Kind of back, yep. And um, um, kind of back looking worse for wear because he can now control people. That's going to come in handy. Yeah, that is. But, but the um, Overlord's flown off with uh, Verity. Takes her to a deep, dark volcano. Yeah, it's a volcano. Uh, there's your G1 callback. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh no. I just uh, recalled the... Um, um, scavengers gag, but that wasn't on Earth. That was a different volcano. Ah, oh, Operation Volcano. I see. Oh God, yes, that's a joke, isn't it? It's Operation Volcano. <laughs> oh God. Oh, you, you, Nick Roach, you. <laughs> Where was it? But hang on, are they supposed to be in Washington when they're with Megan? It's definitely a city. There's. there's... Um, it's a real city. There's a, there's a reference city being. being uh, anyway, Midwest. A volcano now, She's in the Midwest. <laughs> in the Midwest. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, they're in a volcano. But, but yes. They get to Operation Volcano, which always goes well for Pactor. I'm sure he's going to live a long, happy <laughs> life in this comic. <laughs> and uh, hey, what a surprise. Tarantulas is, is still with us. I think he was the one we were all expecting to be in this, weren't we? No one, it was surprised why he turned it up. Uh, I really like uh, Tarantulas here. I like the way he's still doing, yeah, pretty transparently evil things. He's still kind of got the specimen idea going on. And his uh, relationship with Overlord kind of makes sense. But he's also turned over a new leaf in a couple of ways. Like knowing that sort of scene he had with Springer when he was trying to talk to him. In sins, mm-hmm. I think it, yeah, it, it, we find that it really affected him for the better. Yeah, to, to create Katie Hopkins, that's what it's <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm not a lot of Tarantulas' plan here makes much sense to me, but I think it's just because he is uh, a traditional mad scientist who's a bit bored, but much like Overlord, then he's been sort of talked into coming up with this insane way to to let Overlord kill Megatron multiple times over. Which actually, uh, to go way back to Dying of the Light, I think we said on that that we thought Overlord giving up on Megatron was uh, complete bullshit on his part. His stated reason for flying off at the end. 
Because mm. uh, I, I think uh, as I go, he just knows about the geo bomb. That's that's why he's running off and pretending to not be interested in Megatron anymore. Because it's quite clear for this that he's still obsessed and still still keen to get one up on his old boss. He wants to find the timeline where Megatron cares. <laughs> <laughs> that one beautiful moment. I don't know, I'll defend Trenchus's mad schemes in that he's, yeah, it, it, what he's doing here isn't too different from uh, framing the Decepticons uh, for killing innocents. Uh, he wants to, want, he wants to know everything he can about a situation and then um, throw in a variable. He, you know, he, cre- he creates a control situation and then creates an experimental situation. Uh, it's because he's fascinated by, I guess, yeah, we're right. It's very much of like um, the Foundation series of Isaac Asimov. Uh, Tarantulas is, is a psychohistorian. He wants to, he, he's got some kind of method for analyzing complex human events and then uh, has predictions of how to steer them. He's just interested. He just has no moral comfort. You know, in Foundation, they were trying to steer things to make a more stable, uh, bigger society. And Tarantulas isn't really interested in that. He wants um, uh, something interesting. Yeah, he doesn't do small. He does big. He does huge. Mm. He's only doing it to be loved as well. (laughs) Why am I never good enough? I find uh, he's he's a fascinating character, uh, Tarantulas, because he's trying to make that connection. He tries to do the quote-unquote human thing. Um, He tries to kind of um, be part of Springer's life, and he does it in the creepiest, most manipulative (laughs) way possible. Like, he really just doesn't get it. So, yeah, I really wanted to bond with you, so I decided I'm just going to hide in your house for a few years without you knowing I was there. (laughs) Uh, Because I I care about you, and I just wanted to, you know, uh, see what you were like. (laughs) like, But he genuinely, like, does it because he wants to try, you know. Um, It's uh, horrifying. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's what he does to Prowl as well. It's like, I'm going to kidnap you and uh, I'm going to then tell you what I need from you because I still care about you and um, you're going to sit there and listen to me. Um, He's like a whole hard drive full of creepy DMs <laughs> on Tumblr. <laughs> My God. I-, I would love... I'd love to see one of the conversations where they've had a few beers on a Friday night, him and Overlord, and Tarantulas just starts going on about Prowl. As in, Overlord just goes, yeah, he's come up once or twice, and you can tell he's just been bored for like a five-hour lecture about Prowl on more than one occasion where Tarantulas just going, ah, he never appreciated me, never really. Always making me do so much. It's, um... That implication that uh, just because you've given birth to somebody, you should have a right to their life, even when they don't want you to. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's interesting how we've got all these different uh, parent figures. uh, And um, well, perhaps with the exception of Cup, nobody gets it right. Hmm. Also makes it really, I really like that we don't find out anything about 
you know, we don't see a face, we just see a front door. The way we don't find out anything about Verity's mm. mother. Because we have these sort of, you know, cartoonish nightmare versions of parents. And yeah, we will we, I I mean I guess we'll never find out what why Verity was put up for adoption. We never find yeah. out why why Verity tracked her down and what she found out using the communications array and what she is and what she wants out of that interaction. It's uh, good. It, 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 it can live in our imagination. Did, what, did, what did she uh, see there? I, I'm imagining that uh, Springer got his messages mixed up at the end and Verity ends up going to Bulkhead's house whilst her <laughs> mom gets uh, summoned to join the wreckers. <laughs> 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 Mrs. Carlo. <laughs> on a mission to Garrus 9 <laughs> uh, yeah I mean that whole uh, the interplay between them all it certainly uh, there's a lot of resonation there and I like the double bluff with a card as well because obviously I think we've all thought of that opening page oh that's she, that's her mom who she's got to go visit mm-hmm. or her parents anyway mm-hmm. so when she's in the gas station uh, she's looking at the cards if it goes she's getting a card for her mom hey but it's a thank you card for Springer uh, uh, that, that, that really got me as well. I was reading it last night. I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. But she did get one for her mum as well. But yeah, it got it got me too. Yeah. It got me too. I was, I was reading it quite late, so I was just, oh. <laughs> Especially when we've not really actually seen that much interaction between Springer and Verity before this story as well. It's, I think they sort of have that one scene when she was flying in him in helicopter mode in scenes. Mm, that was sort of their big, comes and transforms their big moment together. But other than that, they've not really done a lot. We've had the ending of scenes where they're both um, parked out uh, under the Aurora and sort of talking about what normal life is like and what being human is. Uh, and I like in uh, uh, Tarantulas's um, sort of a flashback narration where he's stalking the two of them hiding in a in a dark corner as a, his spider form when it's uh, Springer and Verity just hanging out uh, reading a book, mm. just not doing much at all. In like a barn, mm. aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I guess. Well, I guess. Yeah. Verity's been hitchhiking, sleeping rough for most of her adult life, so. Uh, I guess yeah. When you, when you can deal with any any threats, oh, no. and now, she she's, uh, now she's stolen all that money from Tarantulas. Uh, she'll never be doing. Uh, her mom would be very. But you see, hi mom. I'm a millionaire now. I've just stolen a load of money from a giant Spider-Man. Do you, you want to <laughs> hang out? Yeah, yes, I think I think we can be friends now. I feel ready to embrace <laughs> you. In fact, uh, uh, the the bank she transfers the money into, uh, I, in this copy I couldn't make out all the names on that screen, but the bank the money goes into is called uh, t- something Tipton. Banking there's online. A, there's a, a nod, ah. uh, I assume, to, to, to Mr. Tipton. Yeah, was- last under the record's editor. Um, just a bit of a, a parenthesis there to say in the Jeff Senior flashback pages there, um, the one with the, uh, the panel of the records at the top of the page. I like what Joseph's done at the top, which is like a faded picture. He's added lots of noise to the colors, uh, but he's done it in such a way where it looks like the picture has sort of gradually faded from the top down. I thought... Oh! Uh, like an old comic, yeah. Yeah, he's been, good. Was- he's been doing good stuff with the, with the fade effects. It- it kind of suggests dust, but then, yeah, you're right. It is like degradation of something. 
But you know the great shame about that panel is that Scoop isn't in it. They could have, all these years later, they could have remembered Scoop was in Wreckers at one point and it's had him in the middle there. He's in the, the group the group shot, the print at the end. Who are all the other guys in that panel? Obviously, there's Whirl, there's uh, uh, Roadbuster, there's uh, Twin Twist and Top Spin, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Rack, Rack and Ruin. Rack and Ruin. Oh, yeah, and uh, Broadside. Oh, yeah, okay. Would, I think that's Broadside anyway, isn't it? That's like his beefier uh, character mm-hmm. model rather than one with a face. Mm. But yeah, Sandstorm at the back. Who shows up again at the end as well, so he, he must be out of prison now. Um, oh, Sandstorm, doesn't he, isn't he visited inside the prison, it looked like? Actually, yeah, I suppose he could be in a cell there, so... He's not to be much use as a conscript. Hey, you that guy in prison? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he's out of prison. In 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 um, uh, you, you guys haven't read the um the Dinobot books, right? The Salvation and not the last one. Not the last one yet. No. Uh, yes. Well, yes. Sandstorm is out of prison now. I'm glad I haven't read all the books because now we're gonna have a long gap, and I can make the continuity last. As I catch up with everything. Fine wine. Uh, Sandstorm will always be alive as long as you've never read that book. I like the return of the CR chamber in Mayhem headquarters. Oh, yeah. I don't think we've seen one of them in ages, have we? Oh, right. Yeah. Was uh, was Sideswipe uh, poked up in one? Oh, yeah, uh, he isn't. Yeah, you're right. I, yeah, yeah. I don't like CR chambers. I think it's part of society's unhealthy obsession with <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back. Everyone's... Oh, I don't know. I like them. They make for very dramatic uh, effects and entrances and uh, reveals and, uh, you know, people bursting out of them. They're, they're all very dramatic. Yeah. The ones in... Because uh, it's a Beast Wars idea, isn't it? If the ones in Beast Wars didn't look like that, they were just like a, a, a box. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> Put you in a box, Diana, but... Um, yeah, yeah, the gooey stuff. I'm pretty sure that that originates with Star Wars. Uh, it might be an older. I guess it's like an easy. It's like a. It's a fun thing to make to put on a set because when you're in a hospital, you if somebody's lying down. You got to shoot it a certain way. If someone's kind of suspended. It's it's um, a bit easier to stage. Uh, I wish, reader, you could see Tom's still be suspended mind there. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh... Yeah, that's, I mean, there's all sorts of nice little uh, little moments here. If I get uh, to really uh, tangent, uh, I'm assuming this wasn't intentional. One bit that really reminded me of uh, something we've seen before is when, uh, oh yeah, prowls come up a lot. Because that reminded me of a bit in uh, Spotlight of Iron Pax. Where, uh, bludgeon. Yeah, but <laughs> Pax is going to uh, bludgeon. Yeah, so does Megaphone ever talk about me? Oh yes, it comes up. <laughs> With the same will weary, dear God, I wish you'd shut up about you sort of sort of voice to it. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised um Oh no, we do see Prowl in the present day, I was gonna say we didn't get a panel of Prowl in the present day, but we do uh towards the end. Fix his eye. He fixes his eye. Yeah, thank, thank God for that. <laughs> it was um, I liked the um um the overlord loses his again. 
Because yeah. you know what's happening more in the way that it's constructed because you know what's happening in that scene without knowing what's happening in that scene. But the minute you see that harpoon go through his eye, you know exactly who's done it and what's going on. And so it was, um, it was more a, uh, a good storytelling device than, uh, you know, the fact that Overlord genuinely loses his eye again. And I'm sure that's got to be a, a nod at... Uh... No, we nick up a Transformers movie because uh, where they sort of go in what Unicron's one eye and then they come out the other eye. <laughs> this on both. This uh, no luck with his eyes. <laughs> Isn't that how Sam kills Starscream in one of the Bay movies? Dark, Dark of the Moon. Yes, the old. It's a direct homage to Dark of the Moon. We see, <laughs> but I'm sure Nick loves that movie. But uh, one thing, one thing, one thing, I'm confused is that. Um, Carnivac says that he picked Springer to be Megan's assassin to, uh, um, to Joe Coxer uh, because Springer is a hero to the people of Earth. But that's that's kind of that hasn't really come out of. Well, I, th- I think you packed uh, points out that's just him making an excuse, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's I'm gonna. Kind of... You like him more than me, so I'm going to screw him over. Yeah, but I've got a reason for it. Of course, as this was Impactus' plan, all I, felt, I wonder if, uh, as they say, we're going to assassinate a big public figure. Was it the president? They were going to kill her rigidly? Is that why Impactus was hanging around with her? I imagine so, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't. Rather than uh, Meghan Merkel or whatever her name is. Um, for the for the actual revolution, that was not the revolution we ended up getting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the colors very much inside the volcano here. Mm. They're all darks and purples, and um, and they also match the colors of tarantulas and overlord. And um, it's all beautiful. I love that portal gate thingy. The design of it is nice. Mm-hmm. I like that tarantulas's like big screen thing is actually built like a spider web. <laughs> He's very on brand. He's he, he's very evil villain. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can it sort of I can sympathise with that. He um, he is on he's on record of saying how fascinated he is by Earth's wildlife and that he picked a spider just because he liked just because he liked how mm. spiders are. I mean, there's lots of more practical alt modes he could have had, but yeah, there's a there's a big part of Tarantulas that is. Uh, Artistic. And biomimicry to him is more than strategic. It is, uh, uh, it's a form of expressing beauty. So having a spider web computer is, um, it's, yeah. It's, it's consistent. Consistent with yeah. his mind. Um, Verity's reaction, though, to Overlord, uh, Overlord revealing what he actually wanted to do all along, which is a surprise to nobody. <laughs> Except Tarantula. <laughs> he's a he's he's a he's got some good, uh, very sick lines throughout all this. Overlord, he's on good, uh, complete bastard form. With all when he's like uh, mind fucking with uh, Verity as he's flying into a volcano. <laughs> so yes, oh, I've been looking forward to seeing you again. And now you're sat within me. Oh, let me tell you all the things I. There's also something he says about growth there, which is quite interesting, because you know this is about Springer sort of learning who he is and kind of growing beyond what he was and learning to embrace one side of him while letting another side 
<laughs> drop. It's funny that we get foreshadowing of that of Overlord, who clearly doesn't really know what he's talking about. <laughs> he's sort of he's sort of trying out the words for size um, by talking about emotional maturity. I mean, it doesn't really seem like Overlord's capable of such things. Yeah, yeah. He, he can't move on, but like Springer and Verity, who they can not only just move on, they can forgive as well. And uh, which Tarantulas, well, I suppose at the end, Tarantulas is able to to go. Yeah, actually, maybe I've made a few mistakes along the way. Now, as I lay here dying, maybe I should have chosen a different path. But. Uh, they're, they're stagnant, Overlord and Tarantulas. I, I, it's very much a... Uh, Nick pulls a classic Decepticon here, and it's so old school that it's it's very entertaining in that Decepticons will never learn not to trust each other in their grand scheming and that everybody has their own agenda um, and nobody is in it for the good of the group. It, it's it's like the same all over again, and um, but it never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, one thing you're going to be vaguely talking about, Tom, because this is, uh, I know, something you were interested in, is uh, the Catholicism. Uh, which uh, is sort of, it's not even uh, its not even an analogy anymore. It's just, you've got Overlord running along going, I am your father, confessor, tell me your sins. <laughs> well, this is the very, I think this is the first mention of Christ we have in the IDW can- canon. Uh, thanks to a little spot of blasphemy at the beginning. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's leaning into that, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of mention of hell and uh, things like that as well, even outside that scene. You know, it's, uh, I think uh, we were talking before we started recording about that new toy that is a Jesus on the cross that turns into a robot. And I think somebody's going to have to buy that for Nick from 40 <laughs> oh, and give it him as a present. <laughs> So, listeners, if you're listening, everybody buying one. <laughs> so <you have> to... <laughs> it's something from Mad Magazine, like, kind of like a hot crust bun transformer or something. Um, so, impact to get stuck in a compromising impact position. Gets... <laughs> in a very compromising position. Vol- volcanoes don't work out well for him. <laughs> I didn't click for me at first. When Overlord finally turns, starts turning up, when I realized that we have a repeat of Pova, even after Impact says Pova. And I like that it's a reversal, but it's exactly how it was narrated by Iron Fist, except the other way around. Mm. Um, oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a note of true heroism. Yeah, and the uh, impactor says what Springer says in the Iron Fist version. Uh, Springer does what impactor does in the Iron Fist version. Um, so the whilst when the situation was reversed, that uh, was not what either of them were saying <laughs> in reality. Um, ah. It was a nice little uh, way to end things, I think, uh, given that this is pretty much Impactor's introduction into the stories through that story, uh, as told by Anfist. Um And uh, it's uh, his end. A pretty grisly one as well. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of robo-gore yeah, well, and stuff. S- but... Springer must be packing a bigger gun <laughs> for it to be lethal this time, and it wasn't when it was done to him. So, Overlord makes a very explicit kind of gun-penis uh, comparison earlier. And um, I guess, yeah, just seeing Impactor like that really, really increased Springer's firepower. It's, uh, 
Of course, if Karnavak hadn't had to walk there, if he got there like five minutes earlier and did his magic trick, uh, then uh, Impacta would have been fine. <laughs> if Impacta hadn't like beat him to the ground uh, after healing him, oh, it was his own undoing. Uh, he had to go get a bus and a, a train. I like, and I like to think that Tidal Wave helped him out. Oh. Tidal Wave, still alive, still... Grumpy. Swam him to the volcano. Yeah, swam him over to the <laughs> Oregon, I guess, or wherever he is. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm sad impact dies because I just I wanted a bit more of him, damn it. <clears throat> I do hope that we get... Yeah, we uh, well, we're not going to get anything now, but it would have been nice <laughs> to get some more past stories about him. Uh, but uh, as far as endings go, I think this was a good one. I think the, the only shame is we never got that reunion between him and Megatron. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, one scene between the two of them would have been so interesting. Yeah. Although I, 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 I suspect it would have just been, hey, hey, bye. <laughs> and that would have been all they had to say to each other. No, I'm, I'm sure James would have written something more, more impressive than that if he tried. Well, if he put his thinking hat off. We didn't even get the scene between Drift and Megatron and they had unfinished business, do you know? <laughs> Oh, let it, let it go. <laughs> we all know you want more drift. <laughs> I think we basically all just want Megaton to have confrontations with various people. <laughs> all of his exes. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starscream, Overlord, Drift. It's just, yeah, it's like all in one coffee. Yeah, it's, like, it's like speed dating for your exes. Megatron's just there at a coffee table. <laughs> and then Starscream comes in. He's got five minutes just to kind of get things off his chest. Swap in, Drift. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, uh, that could still happen though if Springer succeeds in his mission to step into the quantum leap accelerator oh, and vanish. Knew, yes, and, uh, <laughs> put right when one, one front wrong. Uh, Ziggy says if there's an eighty-five percent chance of zero vector fatalities this time, if uh, you know, as I said, I already got emotional at the uh, the card ending, but sort of the uh, the cheeky quantum leap thing. What I what I love about it is that it doesn't matter what happens in Unicron now. Because even if everybody dies and everything gets eaten, and, uh, I don't know, Unicron comes around and pisses on your carpet, <laughs> and it's all, it's all the terrible stuff you can do, if, uh, the worst-case scenario, at five minutes after the last issue ends, with everybody dead, Springer could succeed in his journey through time, oh. and everybody comes alive again. Well, but that, that's not it's... how it works. If he succeeds, he'll create a different timeline. So he hasn't got that right. Yeah. Somewhere out there is a divergent timeline where he stopped the war and uh, mm. the functionists got in charge. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've already seen that story. I hope Verity doesn't work that out because she's counting on him to, to do that. She was like, yeah, the hunter will be alive again. It'd be awful if, like, as, as Unicorn eats her at the end of issue six, she's thinking, well, Springer will save you in a second. That'll be okay. I mean, that's because she doesn't understand the... Well, to be fair, Parallel Dimensions only got invented a couple of years ago by Drainstorm by accident. So maybe it's a, it's a new field. Well, what Springer sets out to do, Rewind's already done. Uh, he saved the rest of the universe from Cybertronians in the Functionist universe. So it's already happened. Nice one, Springer. <laughs> you should read the other comics, Springer. <laughs> That's what happens when you go hide in a barn for years. Oh, God, maybe Springer will create for new continuity. Um, so I was a little confused about uh, Springer's message at first, but uh, before we started recording, you guys put me right. He's talking to all these people in the present day. 
before he leaves. Yes, it's uh, the tape he gives uh, Verity <laughs> just after she hands it. You have a card. It, <laughs> so, is he the dad now? Is he her dad? Or is he, is he the father figure in her life? Or is he a friend figure? Mm. Mm. I think that it's everything. They, they were dependent on each other. Mutually, I think. It wasn't just her being... I say, always platonic partners, really. It was more uh, an equal footing. Because uh, I think they, they mentioned here as well about uh, how uh, she's helped him out with her, her wisdom. Uh, sort of picking up on that idea from Sins, where in Sins, where she goes, uh, stake out says to her, where it's that you live so short that makes you amazing. And here she got my line where you know, we don't live long enough to stay stupid for long. Yeah, I, I thought of this just as I was saying that. Uh, but you don't really give thank you cards to your friends that often, do you? It's more a thank you for looking after well, I'm, me. Well, I'm still waiting. <laughs> I guess it could be both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm. Well, yeah, it also kind of it it goes well with her getting two cards. She gets a card for her dad, and she gets a card mm. for her mum. Yeah. I mean, if, if if either of you save me from a giant spider creature and a sadistic Caligula Katie Hopkins, I would get you both thank you card. That's that's what I would do. Well, we'll work towards that. <laughs> from the cheap garage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's, this is the shimmer, right? He's appearing to them as a green hologram. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How he got Prowl's number. Oh, he has Prowl's number because he, he's doing this with Prowl's. Machinery, yeah. Machinery, right. And then we got, he's been, rec- he's been training new recruits this whole time. In the recruits, yeah, we've got Strongarm from uh, Robots in Disguise, the cartoon version. And we've got uh, Bulkhead. Uh, who are the other guys? He, the, 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 uh, the, guy who's, the guy with sort of the wheels on his clavicles. And the, he's got little beast mode claws on his uh, wrists as well. Is, he, uh, is that quick switch? It, it could be, but... That, that means this is set. Oh, that could because exp- obviously Whirl and Ultra Magnus at the moment, at the, t- at the time this is happening, they are, they are dead. Uh, they, are, they are in heaven, so they wouldn't be getting a message. So this, and I don't think anybody else knows where they are were before that either. So this, that this last page is set contemporarily. Uh, with it obviously it's going to be set after visionaries, but it's. Uh, is it Quick Switch killed? In he is. Well? I've, look, I've looked up Quick Switch's oh. toy. It's definitely Quick, twi- quick Switch. No. Wow. So imagine that. He gets this message and he must have gone wrong. So this is set Jew in visionaries there in between Cup's death and Quick Switch's death. <laughs> well, it's, it's... we have an exact chronological placement. Well, this does um, make me very nostalgic for Nick drawing a lot of these characters. RC... And the world and Magnus, especially. You, you know, what? I'm surprised if, if, if the, the, the more VTI panel that he's going to put Rodimus in there as well, just so he could uh, he could finally have written Rodimus, even if only for one panel, because he's never actually managed uh, to do that. It's uh, so he's he's, a, he's only ever drawn him, he's ever written him, which feels like a big gaping oh. hole in his. But um, yeah, he's put the records in there, hasn't he? So Rodimus would have been an odd choice. Because now that broadside's still around, I think the last we saw broadside, he got smashed by Devastator. So he's hanging out in the Lost Light. But he's he's on the uh, yeah he's on the Lost Light. Uh, presumably Getaway's just on the other side <laughs> of that panel as well. Like, hey guys, who are you talking wow, to? I've been recruited. That's great. I'm a wrecker. 
I'm going to leave the records. That is my destiny. And then Verity goes home. She does. And uh, she actually rings the doorbell. She gets the doors opened. She gives the card and she's let in. Yeah. And it's the end. I like, I like to think that her mum was tarantulas the whole time. <laughs> she opens the door and you're like, ah, surprise! Blood bag! I, but her mum may as well look exactly like uh, Megan. Oh, jeez. I bet she's watching that on TV. Uh, why, why does this woman look like me? <laughs> I, know, I, I, I presumably whatever she found out when she was using Prowl's uh, internet hack, uh, didn't make her mom look too bad a person. But uh, ho- hopefully she phoned ahead while we just turned it up with a car, because that could have been really... Well, it, it, sounds like, it, it sounds like it looks like she's explaining herself at the door, so I don't think she did ring ahead. Uh, yeah. Well, she, she gets let in, though, so I guess that works. That's what I remind me of, actually, the end of uh, Maximum Dinobots, where they uh, give Hunter... Uh, a really happy ending on that last panel when everyone's hugging him and like, oh, we're all great. And if I tell you what, if Nick Roach was ever to come on this podcast to do an interview, the one thing I've always wondered, I would definitely ask him, is whether when he was drawing that, he knew what they were going to do to Hunter afterwards, whether that was a bit of a mistake, making it such an over-the-top happy ending, or whether he drew that, thinking, oh, this is a nice exit for, for all the humans. And then like a month later, he read that issue of All Hail Megatron. And he was like, wow, that was depressing real quick but sadly there's no way of being able to ask Nick that he's lost to us isn't he (laughs) do you know what I was just uh, thinking Um, Verity is Elizabeth Salander I don't get the reference Um, the girl with the dragon tattoo she even looks like her with uh, her haircut her shaved hair her backpack, um, like her black clothes and her millions of uh, money in her bank account, which is how the girl with the dragon tattoo ends. She uh, swindles people out of a lot of money because she's a computer hacker. Ah, um, the girl with the alien uh, death ray tattoo. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, Elizabeth yeah. has also been in the foster system for years, which has been a cause of abuse to her. And uh, the rest of Elizabeth's story has little to do with what happens in Wreckers, but as a character, uh, oh. I can see a lot of similarities suddenly. Yeah, nice one. Um, Actually, I suppose it's also worth noting uh, one thing I like about Nick's take on her over the three series is that he's actually bothered to age her as well and mm. not people looking exactly the same. Uh, say somebody, you know, another comic might have done recently with Jimmy Pink, where he's still even wearing the same clothes he was. Yeah, she looks like years someone ago. in her early 30s now. Um, I guess That's so. She's yeah. not even older than that, I would think. Was she uh, mid to late 30s? How, how old was she supposed to be? If you I think she was quite 18? young. She's, she's in foster care. She has to be under Oh, younger age. than that. It's sort of hard to tell because, God bless the way she was written by a middle aged Englishman trying to work out how a, a t- American teenager would act. <laughs> at, at least we've been in her 30s now. It's, a, it's not as much of a, a leap for the writer <laughs> to imagine how they might talk and act. Uh, so that's the end of the story of Requiem for the Wreckers. Uh, the the first end as well, the first big end uh, before, because that, that's the last Nick. And he's IW's mm-hmm. longest serving writer. 
as well. So that's like the first big, uh, big tick off as things wind down. Uh, so how do we feel? Um, I think now that we've processed it all together, uh, we've been through this, I wish I had a little bit more. Um, but I am very satisfied with this book. Uh, I think Nick has done a, a very... He's uh, he's built Transformers in a different way than other Transformers writers have uh, built Transformers um, Certainly, the continuity, the double continuity, has matured a lot since the very beginning. Uh, we've had different types of maturity, though, and I think what Nick has been doing with these characters is different uh, to what, say, James Roberts has been doing. I think James gave us uh, plot maturity um, and uh, character maturity, whilst Nick has given us maybe more of a relationship maturity. Um, if that makes sense. Um, so he's uh, he's delved a lot into these relationships which are not really there for Transformers like parent-child and brother-sister. And um, he makes a lot of comparisons as well in terms of romantic relationships. Um, and But he does it in a way where it's not uh, the human equivalent necessarily and uh, this story specifically says also that well there is no one version suits all human equivalent anyway uh, this is just kind of how like everybody has their own understanding of what they understand by a parent-child relationship and what that means to them and so on um, it's a beautiful thing to have done um, I'm sorry it's ending um, it's uh, I yeah, it feels, I said that since was a personal book. I think this is even more so. Uh, it feels very much like a, uh, a character ending uh, than a storyline ending. I think the story itself uh, probably ended um, a long time ago, uh, in a way. Um, uh, but it's a conclusion, and I'm uh, happy with the conclusion. I'm happy to say, yeah, okay. Um, I think we got what we needed to get out of these characters' development and the stories I had to say and where they got to. And um, I'm happy to let Verity and uh, the other characters whose fates are unknown sort of like uh, go now, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Yeah, it can't really... I, I, there's an in, incredible inevitability about their fates. Springer has to do the maximum good he can do. Impactor has to die, really. Uh, he's not happy. He's been kind of talking about how unhappy he is um, since the moment we saw, we saw him. He's only really happy when he is doing bad things. Um, Tarantulas pretty similar uh and the the it's something i hadn't really picked up on in sins but really brings it home here how tarantulas and impactor are yeah they're the they're the bad parents and you need to you need to move past your bad parents and in a sort of action comic scenario that's shooting them in the head or blasting them apart and driving through them in your car mode (laughs) don't try that in real life (laughs) But yeah, the metaphor is uh, fun, and the metaphor, you know, maps. Uh, yeah, and I think I, I think you, you're spot on there with saying that uh, 
yeah, Nick has injected that relationship maturity into these stories and even just kind of putting them together in the, the, the big saga collection, you know, last stand, which, uh, you know, still stands on its own as a, as a, as a great story. It is certainly the work of a less mature writer. It's certainly someone who, even though it is a critique of this war story of these of these genre tropes and things, it still loves them. It still wants to have the kind of grisly torture scene. It still wants to have a daring breakout and fun stunts. Even while saying that those things are propaganda and fiction and the realm of evil people, it, it, it wants to have its cake and eat it. But by the end here, you know, the story has learned what's important in life. And that is... You know, moving up, moving past, putting putting away childish things, and connecting with people who uh, give you the actual context, the things which you were missing, and you didn't even know that you were missing. So yeah, I think that's incredible, incredible achievement in forty pages. I mean, we can. It, it is a shame that we don't get the road trip. It is a shame we don't get the Katie Hopkins <laughs> robot adventure story. <laughs> But we get the important stuff and, you know, it's so much, it's so much more meaningful, like someone reconnecting with their foster mother because they saw how somebody who didn't do that was harmed. It's so much more of a, it's so, yeah, so it's more of a conclusion than Unicorn is here because Shockwave has been planning. Like one is, one is childish and enjoyable. And one actually is something that you can examine and let live in your mind. I mean, Mary's, uh, as we said, so I, mean, I remember when we talked about sins, we said that felt uh, like he may have been, been needed a couple of extra pages, breathing room. Uh, this is even more packed. But yeah, to, to be fair, things like the state of America, post all hell, Megatron, and all that other stuff. That's something John Barber should be doing in Optimus Prime more than sort of archaic continuity reference fixing and hey, shockwave again! <laughs> hey, stuff. Uh, so maybe that's a fair to critique this book uh, for that. I mean, uh, we did a talk about yeah. Overlord's face actually at the end where he, uh, he splits million, he becomes Scar off, last of the Jagaloff. Uh, spl- splintered across time. I'm sure you know, the past version will end up in 1979 Paris, uh, buying the Mona- ceiling of Mona Lisa to sell to fuel these time travel experiments. Hey, okay, can we just take itself. a moment for you to, uh, to, to clarify that reference? <laughs> no, no, I think, uh, I think people need to do their, their research. It, it's, ve- it's very like uh, a character, the face of a character from uh, a Douglas Adams return, Doctor Who Soaring, who is. Uh, split into different uh, parts spread across history. And he has to, like... Uh... I mean, that, that'd be a comic, actually. Overlord trying to work forward through time. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll one-up you. It reminded me of the fate of Megabrain in Combat Colin, the backup strip of the Transformers UK comic. <laughs> he is shot in his time belt, and his all of his particles are scattered across time. But, 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 but no, in Luke's trigger, that was almost certainly based Damn. on Star Off, Last of Jagger Off as well. It's, uh, I, I loved it as an ending because it's a very, it's a very Transformers thing to do. 
because unlike a character who's uh, as you say, scattered across time and space or whatever, our overlord is intact. He's just intact in different places. Um, he may as well be conscious in both of these places. Um, he's just stuck in his alt mode, which is a very transformery thing. Um, and we've heard of other characters being found in similar predicaments, and Megatron notably being stuck in gun mode for I don't know how long and things like that. Uh, so it's... Uh, uh, it was a it was a good thing to do. Uh, it also kind of leaves it open, of course, because um, Overlord could be reconstructed. Um, his brain module is in one place, and his T-Cog is in the same place, and you know his Spark is in the same place. Uh, maybe they're not, but um, I would imagine they must be. Uh, we're going to go into a lot of uh, Cybertronian uh, biology now, but. Uh, and he, he, he certainly seems to be some torment once he was uh, that one part got thrown into the future. He even, he even starts begging. So I think well, there's some, yeah. uh, well, as much as Overlord ever does anyway. He says, please. He's, He's very, very well at the very end. He even calls him by his name. He uh, calls him Springer. Please, uh, I, shoo. Uh, we Mr. have Stark, a couple I don't feel of, very um, good. We have a bit of, a, of a, a record now of big Transformers villains who go down begging. Got uh, Tarn, who does it. We've got Overlord now. And Galvatron also went down begging for his life. Hmm. It's, uh, they, 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 they think they're big boys, but they're, they're nothing once you get, you get them down. That's a, a message there. But uh, that's a, a, a comic as a whole, though. Yeah, I mean, it was just so good and uh, so packed. I think... Uh, but I say, apart from... Almost... Would have been fine with the other mayhems not being in it rather than just turning up to be killed like that, which uh, did feel like uh, that was one bit that felt like box ticking uh, in terms of wrapping things up. But otherwise, there was just so much to unpack here. It's just so many nicely written moments. There's a lot of comedy and humour as well, lots of snapping one liners, lots of pathos. And it absolutely connected with me on a personal level, as I suspect it will with a lot of readers. I think. Uh, Especially since for the last but one relaunch with more of a BTI, a lot of people who get a lot out of these comics are perhaps oh, what's the word? Uh, unconventional. They're sort of outside. Oh, no, that's not right. Uh, my, my brain has failed there, but they, they, they perhaps don't feel as much part of society as other people. And that's why they connect with these books about uh, outsiders and weirdos and finding each other and finding a place. And I think uh, everyone who uh, feels the of that will definitely get a big emotional kick in the guts from the end of this book. It is a, maybe not even a negative way, it's sort of a, oh, thank you card. If, you, if you're not crying when you uh, when you get to the thank you card bits, you're, you're probably dead inside. <laughs> or Katie Hopkins reading the book, going, oh, I heard there's a book about me. Oh, yeah, I really love this Overlord guy. Shame what happened to him. You would only cry he's one, he's if you got here. a drink thrown over you. Uh, it's uh, it's it's Sick Roach at uh, just knocking it out the park. And you know, the interview and in other interviews I've seen, he's uh, been very self-effacing and self-deprecating about uh, the challenges of doing it all. And uh, uh, I think he might even be a little bit insecure about how good it actually is. But it's, uh, if you're listening, Nick, don't worry, it's actually good. Well, I got a few criticisms. Oh, right, here we go. You know, Stop oh, the down, Nick. Okay, let's hear it. Before, before your head gets too big, Nick. Um, <laughs> uh, 
The um, it felt a little bit like it, it felt like it owed a thing or two to Guardians of the Galaxy two, uh, which treads on kind of similar territory with having these kind of multiple father figures, and a um, you know a choice between uh, which you go with. You know who really raised you and who really made you what you were. That's not bad. I you know Guardians of the Galaxy two is kind of divisive. I think, but um, I really like it, and I quite like that territory being mined uh it's different enough and it seems personal enough um that uh uh yeah that's not really a bad thing but it doesn't seem wholly original in this sort of cultural climate uh i'm not entirely sure if i really i mean i can't you know i'm I'm not saying i know a better way to do it but I don't know if the if spring is ending. I like the the thank you card, but when he goes into the quantum leap accelerator, I'm not sure if the uh, wrecker recruitment uh, sequence actually worked for me. Um, I think that yeah, I, I, it becomes and this is, this is something which I've been thinking of since our interview. You know, Nick wants to. Um, he has, uh, when he talks about Springer being a hero, when he talks about his eyes being matrix blue, when he kind of makes these Christ analogies, he's being totally serious. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure how well I identify with kind of pure hero characters. It's completely intentional, but it, it means that, yeah, kind of, it skips, uh, it, it, it doesn't quite land with me. I think that's the kind. I think for uh, a, a a piece that's all about kind of moving on from your childhood and from these notions, uh, leaving behind these old notions, I think the ending's a bit simplistic in that. Springer sacrificing himself for our sins, um, sort of thing, is <laughs> is problematic for what we touched on earlier, and that he can't actually change anything because we've already established in the universe that if you change something in the past, all you're doing is creating an alternate timeline, and that is my biggest criticism of the story, personally. Mm. Well, he, he's tried, though. He's tried. And does does time travel always work the same way, or is it like? Uh... Star Trek thing where sometimes in Star Trek when you time travel it creates an alternate timeline if the other timeline still exists or and sometimes it just completely rewrites history uh, it would be awful if like yesterday's Enterprise had worked the same way as the 2009 Star Trek film because they, they'd have still all died at the end because they were just in, a, in an alternate timeline rather than uh, actual change history so but time travel works differently depending on how, what sort of time machine you're using? That's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to pretend that remaining light, um, no, not remaining light, like the elegant chaos just didn't happen. You know, just for just for the purposes of giving Springer his moment. So viewing this in isolation, okay. On the other hand, though, uh, same criticism as uh, criticism as um, uh, we um, applied to rewind applies here. You're making a decision for everybody without consulting with anybody. So, uh, sure, uh, I mean, you want to make the decision to um, go back and change the past so the war had never happened, but what does that mean? 
in real terms, because as we've seen again in more than it's slash lost light, uh, yes, bad things would be prevented from happening, but good things would also be prevented from happening, and other bad things would happen as a result. So I think it's a bit, it's it's simplistic. It's very simplistic to think that you're going to walk through a portal, change a thing, and then everything will be fine. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's going to be like uh, uh, the Voyager uh, two-parter with uh, Kurtwood Smith, where he's constantly changing history to keep on top of the bad things that happen. And he's have to every change needs him to make more changes and more changes and more. As far as he said, the rest of his life, get off. That coffee cup is just slightly out of reach. It's very annoying. Right, gotta go back again. It's <laughs> further smoothing out the bubbles in the wallpaper. Uh, there's there's another thing where um, throughout the series, a change in art style has meant kind of a change in narrator, a shift in perspective. And as much as I love the Jeff Senior sequences, I don't think they quite fit the bill. Um, so we flash back to the past, and they you know they look like the past in, in the way we've discussed, but they're not necessarily from. They're not kind of retelling. They're not, they're not sort of a, a, a new perspective, are they? I guess we see things that that Springer wasn't privy to, but not always. We see, only at the last one do we actually see kind of a scene that Springer wasn't present at. Oh well, I was going to say it's uh, it's Springer's idealized memory of of what happened, uh, but no. That... That makes that scene with just Prowlady packed uh, a bit of a cheek. Yeah, yeah. It, it totally worked uh, for the first one as like, hey, it was the past and stuff was simpler then. And that's kind of referred back to with Prowl saying he only remembers Autobots and Decepticon. Actually, uh, Springer's not there for the last flashback, is he? So it's it's not his flashback. It's uh, It starts with Verity saying to Tarantulas, uh, yeah, you're not his real dad. And then it cuts back. Uh, uh, hmm. It's that's that's impacted flashback. Um, it's it's implied from the previous yeah. panel uh, because uh, the the it's bringing talking to impactor. So I think that that is uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, oh, that makes sense. It, it's it's just that yeah. I guess my I guess it's a it's quite a finicky technical complaint. But you build up this um, you have this tool of use of switching art styles. In this case, switching artists to imply a, a point of view, but it's not consistently used here. And yeah, it's quite, it, it's on reflection, it's quite a niggle. It's not, um... Are, are that cheerful, mate? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Oh, I wish Jeff's... Seen... Actually, we, uh, we, we didn't talk about the art generally, did we? Uh, other than Jeff's... Well, I, I I gushed over it at the beginning. I'll gush over it again. Um, it's a beautiful book. Uh, well, I gushed about the colors more. I'll gush about Nick's art as well for a bit now. I think Nick has uh, has gone, you know, light years uh, between when he started and where he is right now. And he didn't start off in a bad place by any means. Uh, but uh, he does things which are amazing. And I... I'm not going to be able to explain very well why I think that, but um, he has this, uh, as I was saying, this really organic way of presenting things. His um, perspective is always very interesting. He gives uh, sort of this, um, this energy to the sins, and they're all very uh, dynamic. Uh, every panel, uh, I'm never confused about what's going on. Uh, they're all very visually beautiful. Um, and he, and I think I, I mentioned earlier that uh, in, um, 
overload looks uh, tiny in those pages. Uh, those are uh, Brendan Cahill's pages. Um, and I can I can always picture how that would have been drawn if it had been drawn by Nick and how huge Overlord would have looked there when he was first introduced. And, you know, you can kind of like, you would know how Nick would have drawn this. And I think in that sense, uh, he is very much carved out um, and uh, sort of like an identity for himself and a style for himself. I think he's um, gone a long way uh, in drawing humans. And tarantulas as well because he's he's more organic than robotic, um, so it's uh it's not the same as sort of drawing Overlord or Springer or what have you there, and the blend of that um, really works very well for me. I'll stop gashing over Nick for a second because I want to talk about uh, there's a particular panel because I know you um you're not very happy with how uh, Jeff Senior draws Impactor, but the panel where Impactor first appears where he puts his hand out to um to Springer. Um, I was looking at it thinking, God, that's a really familiar panel. What, what, what am I looking at here? And it's almost identical to Alex Milne's reintroduction of Pharma uh, at the, on Luna 1. Um, uh, it's an almost identical uh, point of view with uh, even um, Ratchet uh, instead of uh, where Springer is in the frame. Uh, and the outstretched hand and the perspective and everything. Uh, I doubt that this was on purpose. Um, but that was, uh, you know, looking at it made me think, well, you've got somebody who draws in such a traditional style and somebody who draws in such a really modern style and they've both um, created exactly the same effect. Uh, and I just, I don't know, I was, uh, I'm easily impressed. <laughs> uh, that is good, actually, yeah. And it's sort of front of you as well, some of the oddities with his design. Uh, uh, as obvious fair but yeah that's that's a lovely paddle um there's also for, for 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 a story that's got so much text in it the panel design is um really something else you're not really you're never distracted by the word balloons they're always placed incredibly well i guess this is um you know tom b long's influence as well but um yeah you can really tell that this is a as an artist writer because uh, the panels really mold around the words and flow in a way that, uh, yeah, you don't actually see it this good quite so often outside of, um, especially where you've got a, a, a script team and well, a, a script and an illustrator. Um, so how- it's someone who's had to draw James Roberts' script in the past and knows. <laughs> well, yeah, it just, it just feels <laughs> like it's come from one mind. You, you don't feel like you're um, seeing something that's mm. been constructed. You feel like it's some, you're like you're, someone's telling you something. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, visually, it's just uh, very good. That's my professional <laughs> art critic uh, opinion. It's uh, every uh, beat gets hit. Uh, all age for storytelling, as you say. There's some love. There's some stuff you'd want hanging on your wall. In a, if I had any wall space left. Uh, 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 the Brendan pages as well. They're, they're perfectly fine. Uh, apart from things like you know, a couple of scale issues of Overlord and uh, uh, maybe not quite as uh, of a ball as Nick's are, but then he, I think he was a, a bit of a last second replacement for Guido, so maybe he didn't have quite have time to. Brendan's great at, at, at environments. I, I think he really nails the, the interior of the gas station, the establishing shot of the city, and the act and the um, 
the rally as well, the human's first rally. Um, those are really those are really a strength. I mean, yeah, the, the art on the Cahill pages is great. I just wish that there'd been time for it to be Nick all the way through. Hmm. So. Yeah. Hey, what, what, I'm, what I'm looking forward to is uh, rereading it uh, when it comes out properly. Because one thing I've discovered with Sims and Last Stand is that they get better on rereading. Because it's written with such a strong perspective that gaining your own perspective, you know, it's not, this story isn't about the Mayhems and it's not about post All Hell Megatron um, America. Um, so, yeah, n- having, not having those expectations anymore. Uh, yeah, the, the the work really does stand on its own. So it's it's a good finale for Nick. I mean, he, I'd say he's probably IDW's most on the ball author over the last eleven years uh, of work, and I think Spotlight Cup as well was like the, fir- the first real IDW Transformers comic as well. I think that's a lot of the groundwork of the style and type of stories we eventually got to once my Costa was put in a big sack and shut out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I believe, how he exited the building. Uh, interestingly enough, that's how I think first. Uh, uh, it, it took a while for IDW to catch up with that story, but I think it was like the first real uh, proper statement of intent of what they could do that wasn't just dependent on chaining Simon Furman to his desk and having him write all the comics till he, he died. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading Nick's creator-owned stuff. Um, he's more than deserved it. It would be nice to see him, you know, it would be nice to see him uh, outside of these restraints that the license and the um, uh, the company, you know, put, you know, necess- uh, necessity is the mother of invention. But, yeah, I want to see him off the leash. It's, it's well beyond time. I think this is a good note to wrap up on. Uh, yeah, everybody get sins of uh, everybody. Everybody get Requiem of the Wreckers, and then get the Wreckers Saga. Get 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 sins yeah, of Wreckers get, as get well. This, get Requiem of the Wreckers um, this week, which is when this podcast is coming out, and then go get yourself the collected edition. Go get yourself Saga of the Wreckers uh, down the summer, uh, particularly if you haven't got any of the other trade paperbacks, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Lots of specials, lots of bonus material. And because it might be the last chance you ever have of purchasing yourself a nice Rebecca's volume. So definitely go for that when uh, the time comes. If you um, want to discuss this issue with us, you can do so. We're all on Twitter. You can come have a chat with us either at Podcast Maximus uh, or at our individual handles. Uh, mine is Mota. Um, Stuart is Inflatable Dalek and Tom is uh, Tyrone McNally um, and you can also find myself um, in various other places around the web uh, with the same username um, and uh, you can find Podcast Maximus on Facebook you can listen to our podcast on our website on various other places including iTunes where you can also rate us we really welcome uh, ratings and reviews um, and your feedback in general and we love discussing these books so if you have anything that you want to pick up on uh, please do comment and tell us what you thought um, Tom, is there anything else you would like to share with us about where people can find you or anything else you're up to at the moment? 
Why, yes, there is. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I make an audio drama called The Saga of the European King. Uh, season three is going to start quite soon. Uh, you can go find that on iTunes. You can find that on SoundCloud. You can find that wherever podcasts and audio drama are found. Um, and there's something else coming up, but I can't talk about that just yet. Stuart! Uh, well, yes, uh, I am still, still st- doing transformation every week. My weekly look at the British Transformers comic now hurtling towards the end, uh, uh, which, as I said, I think of the, uh, the outro to our, our Nick interview. Uh, but yeah, we will be covering a Nick Roach drawn issue of a British Transformers comic when I get onto the uh, the Michael Bay stuff. So, uh, which I think he is repressed because he's been talking about the uh, the British release of his Spider-Man work as his fir- first time his stuff has been on British newsagent sands. So I think he's, he's I'm never get nobody ever mentioned that issue of a British movie comic I did, but I'm going to mention it and talk about it <laughs> at great length in a few months. And uh, also, uh, why not uh, check out uh, the last episode we did, which was another special one, uh, looking at the 2007 Michael Bay film, which uh, ends with me suggesting that James Roberts and Michael Bay should go live in a volcano and uh, just be pally with each other and talk about old times and plot, what to do now they don't have any work on. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, on that note, uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.